Welcome back to another roar-tastic, kaiju-rific episode of Fanholes Toku Thursdays. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm not alone tonight. I'm joined by my co-partner in crime. Why don't you give a shout-out and let everybody know who's here with me tonight? Coming to you from a distant planet land, I am just as. I look exactly like Justin, only I have a stupid frill around my neck. 
<laughs> awesome, awesome. So, yeah, we, we were trying to figure out, decide, like, how we were going to celebrate the, the future film release of Godzilla King of Monsters, and I guess... We, we were trying to go with the super-duper not-obvious method of doing it, you know, talking about Godzilla films and everything like that. And, you know, since since one of the earliest episodes of Toku Thursdays already covered Zone Fighter, you'd think, like, what more obscurity could we possibly, like, like how, what, what, what lemon juice could we squeeze out of this squeezed, dried-up, crappy lemon that we've already squeezed? And what we came up with is we're going to cover some episodes from the the sort of Ultraman universe, and we're going to cover the 10th episode of the original 1966 Ultraman series, and then in the second half, we're going to be talking about Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle Never-Ending Odyssey Episodes 1 and 2. I know that's a mouthful, Gesundheit, but, you know, like, that's that's what we're doing. The Method to Our Madness is basically... There are Godzilla suits in in these episodes. Like there's different monsters, they have different names, but essentially they're using the Godzilla suits, and that's that's kind of why we pick these particular episodes. That's sort of the the theme of this. It, it's kind of a very very loose tie-in to to Godzilla, but it's also an excuse to talk about you know Ultraman and, and Kaiju and Tokusatsu and stuff. And that's that's kind of what we do on this show. So. I guess without further ado, we'll start talking about Ultraman episode 10, which on the the Shout Factory DVD with those fucking crappy paper sleeves. I forgot, <laughs> man. I hate those yeah. fucking paper sleeves. I thought I was going to destroy the DVD trying to get it out of the paper sleeve. Fuck you, paper sleeves. I don't, <laughs> I don't like those. Anyway, so on the DVD set... It, the title is The Mysterious Dinosaur Base, or if you look at the, the subtitled title on the Japanese subtitle language of the episode, The Appearance of the Frilled Dinosaur Jiras. So, you know, that's that's what it is. It was released September 18th, 1966. It was directed by Kazuho Mitsuta. And... I'll just go into a, uh, I don't know if it's brief, it's it's probably detailed. I sort of, I, I was like, I was like sort of writing my own synopsis because the one I found had like, I mean, it was, it was bad. It was like broke. I, it was like, there. well, you know what, you know what confuses me? There's like an Ultraman wiki and like an Ultraman wiki, Wicca, or I, I don't know what the difference is, but, but there's two of them. And on, I went to the one that isn't written in English, basically, like it's English, but it's like, you know. They went to farm. Farm had animal. Pumpkins <laughs> am nice. You know, like, that's like the synopsis, you know? And so I was, like, kind of, like, going through it and just kind of, you know, writing my own or whatever. And then I kind of stumbled onto, like, the, the, the other synopsis and then started, like, integrating that into my existing synopsis. So hopefully this will all sort of make sense. But we open on a scientist named Nakamura feeding his animals and a monster of his own creation named Jiris, who lives under Lake Kitayama. The Science Patrol heads out in their jet, vertical takeoff and landing, equipped with the S-21 submarine to investigate the lake due to the sudden increase in the fish population. Arashi launches into the lake in the submarine while Hayata and Ide pilot the jet. Even though we, the audience, are privy to Jiris' tale, the Science Patrol's investigation with sonic radar and cameras turns up zilch, nada, nothing. 
So, since things are slow, back at headquarters, Captain Muramatsu gives the three men shore leave at the local hotel resort. While they cheer, they don't realize the captain has ulterior motives, because now he's got Fuji all to himself. Aw, yeah. Anyway, the local press comes to interview Nakamura about the Loch Ness Monster based on his expertise in strange animal life. The male cameraman, Hayashi, is not allowed to bring his camera to take pictures. And after some brief education on various dinosaurs painted on his wall mural, the missing Professor Nikaido, who was lost at Loch Ness, and a smoke, he tells them to get out. Later that night, the female reporter, Kubo, is out fishing, quote-unquote, with Ide, where they see a flashing light on the lake and Nakamura in a raft heading back to shore, having fed Jiris. The two follow him back to an underground cavern that leads back to Nakamura's mansion. Suddenly, both of them are discovered by Dr. Nakamura himself, who destroys Ide's communicator and takes them both hostage now that they know he has, quote-unquote, raised Jiris. Meanwhile, Hayata and Arashi attempt to contact Ide, but with no response. Fearing something bad has happened to him, the Science Patrol launches into action to find and rescue him. Suddenly, just as the rest of the Science Patrol arrives at Lake Kitayama, Jiris reveals himself and attacks them. The Science Patrol attempts to fight back, but their assaults are hindered by Dr. Nakamura's obsession in trying to protect his monster. Suddenly, Dr. Nakamura pulls off a mask, Mission Impossible style, to reveal, Ha-ha! He is none other than Professor Nikaido himself. The professor had spent the last 15 years of his life secretly raising Jiris after discovering him in the Loch Ness. Enamored by his love of dinosaurs, the madman sadistically orders Jiris to kill the Science Patrol, only to be trampled under the foot of his own monster. As Jiris rampages, the Science Patrol manages to find and rescue Ide and Kubo after Ide fixes his communicator and contacts them, only for them to all be trapped when Jiris attacks Nakamura slash Nikaido's mansion. Luckily, Hayata went off on his own and transforms into Ultraman to battle Jiris. While temporarily put off by the monster's fishy breath, P.U., Ultraman manages to physically overpower Jiris in a test of might and eventually manages to tear off the monster's frill, further taunting Jiris by using it as a matador's cape. After discarding the frill, Ultraman and Jiris wrestle each other to the ground until finally Ultraman strikes Jiris in the gut with his ultra-chop technique, causing Jiris to spurt blood from his mouth and keel over dead. Then, in a surprising act of sympathy for the monster, Ultraman replaces Jiris' torn frill back on the dead monster's neck and gives a very brief moment of silence before taking off once more. Unknown to Ultraman and the Science Patrol, Professor Nikaido, who is just barely alive, witnesses the death of his beloved dinosaur and grieves over its death before finally succumbing to his wounds and dying himself, a victim of his own obsession with dinosaurs. So that is the synopsis of the 10th episode of Ultraman. And yes, Jiris is basically Godzilla with a big flower on his neck, right? Like that's that's the <laughs> that's the joke, that's the trick. Like the the closest thing you'll ever see to a a genuine Ultraman versus Godzilla battle in the Showa era is this episode and and that was you know the main reason why we picked it i mean I, th this is kind of 
I, I don't know. Am, am I, I don't know if I'm misremembering or not, but I mean, I, I kind of feel like this is one of the more, I don't know, bloodier battles because of the convention of, he, you know, at some point he rips off that frill, you know, the flower or whatever you're going to call it. And then, you know, essentially Jiris's neck is, is bloody as hell for the rest of the battle. So, I mean, there, there are things in say ultra seven where things get really bloody and gory and stuff like that. But I, I don't remember things in Ultraman being that bloody all the time. I mean, a lot of the times he'd just use his spacium beam and then explode them and stuff like that. Like, like this is a little, I don't know. Th- this seems a little more physical. Like he doesn't ever explode. Jiris, maybe because of the suit that they used, you know, maybe maybe Godzilla's too big to to get Spacium Beam to death or something like that. I don't know, but and 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 I I kind of thought the the whole I I don't know that they 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 kind of say in the synopsis that I swiped like they they say he he returns the frill to his neck, but I kind of looked at it more like it was still the cape, you know, and he's kind of you know, putting the cape over a dead body or something, you know, like kind of mm-hmm. treating it with with a little more reverence than he would other monsters. Again, maybe because it's all meta and it's like, oh, well, you're Godzilla, you know, like I'm going to I'm going to sort of give you a proper burial before I, you know, fuck off to outer space or whatever, you know. So I, I don't know. But what are your what are your immediate thoughts on this episode, Justin? I think the moral of the story is that sometimes the things you love stomp the shit out of you. <laughs> Um, this episode, like, okay, I I remember when I was a little kid, there were two, like, Godzilla-type things that were kind of mythical, almost. The first one actually was a myth, and it was, like, that supposed alternate ending ending to, like, you know, King Kong versus Ah, Godzilla, where Godzilla wins. Yes, yes. Like, we, I remember when I was a kid, we read about that in that book, you know, the same book that, um... The angry video game nerd talks about like we had those. My library at school had that set of books, and we would always check them out, especially the Godzilla one. And that's where we learned about it. And we were like, "Wow! Like, I want to see that. Like, that must be great. Like, I mean, I I liked King Kong, but I wanted to see Godzilla win because I love Godzilla. And like in this episode, like I must have read about this and maybe Famous Monsters of Film or something, but I do remember seeing a photo of Ultraman. In his little like squatting pose, where he's getting ready to like grapple with a you know a monster or something, and like Godzilla with the thing around his neck, and I was like, well, that's that's weird. Like, why does Godzilla have a thing around his neck? And then I think maybe late '90s when I finally was able to get on the internet at a semi-regular basis, like I think I saw some pictures on the internet, but I didn't actually watch this episode until the. Uh, aforementioned horrid uh, mill creek ah. set was released like i don't know what 2006 or 7 or something i like, i they, had the the shout factory dvd mm. sets first before i traded up to the mill creek ones only because i i think the reason why i gave up the shout factory ones is because they i i don't know if i bought a used set or they were just defective but i i, I feel like they they were always like the sets I had like the DVDs were always choppy and like didn't you know I would get mad when I was watching them essentially because they were always like pixelated or whatever so mm. I was I uh, despite my my little mini rant about the sleeves I was happy to trade up for a cheap you know whatever it is like five ninety nine nine ninety nine for that whole set of you know episodes to get get all 
you know, the whole set. Cause I think the shout factory ones were broken down into like, you know, part one and part two or set one mm-hmm. and set two and stuff like that. And I think either, either those discs were really scratched up cause I bought them used or, you know, I was trying to get a deal on them or something like that. But I was, that, that was essentially the first time I probably watched this episode. And, and again, I, at least the, the one thing I can say is so far my Mill Creek DVDs are not scratched up and pixelated yet. So there's, there's that, that's, that's the positive. So. But yeah, I, I thought this was a really interesting episode, especially from the, you know, learning about all the like, you know, stuff about how they like they used one suit and they used the head from another suit and put a frill on it to make Jiras and I don't know I kind of, I mean I know it's not Godzilla, but like when Ultraman kills him, I'm like, oh that's like that's Godzilla, he's, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you kind of feel like Ultraman. You're like like when Ultraman puts his frill over his head, like I was like. Oh, uh, like it—it's not Godzilla, but it is, and he's dead. <laughs> They're dead. All right, can I go now? So I—I I do have one question that I don't know, and you may know the answer to this, and you may just be as baffled as as I am, because I—if I do know where it's from, I can't fucking place it. What the fuck is up with that car that those reporters are driving with the the <laughs> flames and the fucking the, yeah. the the antlers and the like it's all decked out and shit I'm like what I'm, you know what it rem- I mean what it reminds me of if I can give somebody a picture is like if anybody listening has ever seen Unazu man like Unazu man has like this crazy ass car you know kind of like the uh the 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 uh i can't even think of the name of it now but like the the spider mobile in the tokusatsu spider-man too you know like they're these kind of wild crazy outlandish cars with like crazy colors and all this kind of crap on them and stuff like that and like they you know nazo man's has like teeth and stuff like that and i was just kind of like this car and it's like it's not like the reporters are toku heroes or anything not as far as i know so i was like what's up with this it's like we're from you know shonen magazine or wherever they're from right and i'm just like why does your car look like it comes out of like it's like the tokusatsu hugh hefner's garage or something (laughs) like it's just all sorts of crazy and i have no i i was like i that that's what i was gonna ask like is that do you recognize that car like it must be reused from something right like i I don't know like that i I was just kind of like why are they like, it just seemed like, oh, yeah, we got this crazy car lying around. Yeah, let's have them drive it. Like, whatever. You know, they, they, it's got antlers and flames and shit. And I was just like, what? what is going on with that car? I want a car. Chicks dig the car. But, yeah, it is It is a weird feeling to to see something that looks like Godzilla die. I mean, I guess I kind of rationalize it in my head. It's, I'm like, oh, it's just Jiris, so... You know, like that's that if it was the real Godzilla, he wouldn't go out like a bitch like that. But, you know, that's that's, you know, that was kind of my my thinking about it. Although it is interesting because he does. I mean, when they have that sort of test of strength, you know, there is that moment where where Jiris is using atomic breath when he throws up the rock to shatter it. And then Ultraman sort of matches him with the specium beam. And I kind of took that to be like, oh, okay, we're my atomic breath is equal to your specium beam, so we won't be able to use those to destroy one another, so now we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna get physical and, and beat the crap out of each other with our, you know, our hands, you know, basically, and that's it's kind of how I took it, although, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, <sighs> I think 
in the Godzilla franchises. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, but I'm, I'm sure in some of the Heisei movies, there's probably moments where Godzilla bleeds. But like, I, I and maybe there are moments in the Showa series where he gets like clipped in the shoulder or something there like are. that, right? Yeah. Like, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like that. But it's like, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen Godzilla bleed from the mouth, though, right? Like, where it's like, I mean, clearly, like, you can tell, like, dude is dead. Like, when when, when he gets hit with that ultra chop, like, he's he's super fucking dead after that, so. He, doesn't he, like, foam from the mouth in one of the, like, Mega Godzilla movies? He probably does. I mean, it's been. I can't remember. Yeah. It's a, it's like one of those things where I haven't, I mean, it's it's been a while since I've sat through all those movies and everything. But. I, I know there's a scene in one of those movies where like he gets hit in the shoulder and blood is like, yeah, that, that I remember. Shoulder. Yeah. Like, cause isn't that, is that Geigen that does that or something? Cause he's got the chainsaw maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was totally wondering if somehow that, that car was like a reuse from like Common Rider or some other, you know, some other tokusatsu type show that we just are I, not familiar with. If it is, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. I mean, this was this was what '66, so it wasn't yeah. way before Common Rider. That's but... true. That's true. It couldn't have been a Common Rider use, and it couldn't have been an Inazuman reuse or anything from Kaida or anything like that, because all those shows came much later. I mean, it'd have to be like you know the crazy car from like Johnny Sako or some shit, right? Like something mm. that we maybe don't know very well or something like that. I know I've been like watching some Ultraman Taro lately. And, like, man, like, they're, like, Science Force or whatever, like, they have some really wacky cars. I mean, it's, mm. like, it's got, like, a Jeep, and it's got, like, everything in the kitchen sink just, like, glued to it. It looks like <laughs> the worst, most awful thing. Is that, is that, like, was it was that the model that Super Sentai chose with the, the Megazords moving forward, where they're like, yeah, we got to replicate those cars that have all this crap on them for no reason? But yeah, no, th- I mean, this is a fun episode. I like it. I, yeah. I, you know, it's it's fun to revisit Ultraman. Like, I've seen this a number of times. I, I'm sure you have, too. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, obviously, it, it follows kind of some of the traditional tropes, you know, that you have to be used to. It's not like you're going to get, you know, 40 minutes of Ultraman in this. You know, Ultraman is saved for the very end, the climactic battle. You've got the, the science patrol, you know, valiantly attempting to you know, shoot them with their little cannons and things like that, and they, they kind of hold off Jiras as long as they can until, you know, it kind of proves useless, and then, you know, luckily at that point, you know, Ultraman's on the scene to save everybody's ass, like, per usual. The 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 kind of wacky, mad Japanese scientist, I mean, there's there's a little bit of Professor Gill there, you know, like, the kind of, he's got the frizzy hair and all that stuff. Although it's kind of funny how it's like, that was like a Mission Impossible mask the whole time. Yeah. Like, where it's like, he's like, ha-ha, I am the other guy, you know, and it's like, that's fine if he's the other guy, but it's just like, did, did he really need, I mean, I guess reporters, you know, maybe they'd have photos and... and you know, evidence of what he, he originally looked like or whatever, but it just, it's one of those tropes that's like kind of hilarious where it's, it's straight out of, you know, it, it's like one of those things where like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like Batman, you know, dressing up as like, you know, the president and then he pulls off a rubber mask and he's like got his bat ears under the rubber mask that was the president, <laughs> you know, like it's kind of like that level of, of ridiculousness, you know, as far as I, you know, it's like he, he clearly it's, it's a different actor and then, you know, and then it's a younger actor who's the the actual Professor Nakaido, you know, that that is, you know, 
he has his own death scene, you know, like like twice or whatever. But you know, I, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about Ultraman's face in this? I think this is what they call like his A type face because it's kind of like symmetrical. Like it always bugged me. Yeah, he it's a you know what it's like. It's like that Ultraman that's like like you know Frank Miller right now. <laughs> like Ultraman's lived a hard life and shit. You know he's gotten his nose broke a couple times and like yeah. monster battles and shit. Like it doesn't quite. It kind of looks like you know like somebody got uh, Reynolds wrap and shit and made a Ultraman like mask out of it. You know like they just kind of put a bunch of Reynolds wrap together and you can kind of like see the the wrinkles and the seams and everything like that. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate to to judge it by this standard, but, you know, we're watching it on, like, this these high-def televisions, and, you know, it's, it's like the same thing. You can see the fucking wires that pull Jiris up out of the water yeah. and shit. I mean, it's like, you know, but it, I, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it's not fair. It's not like people saw that on the TV screen back in 1960, but you can you you can definitely notice the, the quote-unquote A-type heads imperfections when you're when you're scrutinizing it on the the type of media and and the display equipment we have today it's it's really easy to see the flaws in it i'm sure back then it was kind of like well what's the difference between the a type head and the the other type head but yeah i mean if you're going to ask me about it you know when they when they release these newer big budget movies, you know, in the, 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 the mid two thousands moving forward and you see the original Ultraman, there's a reason why they don't use the quote unquote a type head, you know, like, cause it looks nicer when it's all smooth and shiny and kind of almost looks like a, you know, it's like a, uh, almost a, a perfect sphere egg type shape. You know, there's no imperfections in it. And I, I think most I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think most people would prefer that look. I mean, unless unless you're trying to be, like, super, super-duper, like, fanboy, and there's some, like, Doctor Who time travel story where you go back <laughs> to, like, this period in Ultraman's history, and then, and then you know, you get your jollies because it's the, the shitty Reynolds rap, you know, A-type <laughs> head or whatever, and you go, ooh, look, they, they, they know their stuff. They know their Ultra stuff. The Ultraman looked like he... He had fucking herpes or whatever when 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 he was uh you know when he was fighting Jiris or whatever. But you know, I mean, I don't I don't hold it against you know the the to, to me it's like I I get it I, I I recognize it and and which one do I prefer? Yes, I prefer the the smoother looking face, but you know it's it it, it doesn't destroy my appreciation of of the episode or or the character or anything. I know when I'm often perusing, like maybe eBay or Mandarake, I often see the SH Figures version of that figure, and it's usually like not very expensive. And I'm like, oh, I guess no one really wants a figure of that. It is kind of a mm. weird variant to do for yeah, an action yeah. figure. All right. Well, I think. I, do you have anything else on on Ultraman? Uh, not unless you want to be a pervert. He's a pervert about uh, Fuji or anything. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I just, I, I just kind of cracked that joke or whatever because I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, Fuji doesn't do a whole hell of a lot in this episode, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, I'm like all these idiots are cheering, like, yay, we have shore leave, and I, yeah, yeah, you have shore leave, and you don't have any chicks. Like, what good is shore leave? You know, like, <laughs> it's like, what are you gonna do? Like, you know, all get a room and and then they eat food and and whatever. I was like, oh, at least uh, Ide's got the right idea. He's like, oh crap, you know, uh, I better, I better try to hook up with this reporter babe or whatever because there's there's nobody else in like 40 miles they're all fishermen getting fish so it's like i, I don't know what kind of resort it is when it's just a, it's, it's like the japanese gilligan is all happy that he's got his 
his mountain of fish and shit, you know, like, I was just like, well, I don't see any other cute chicks. Like you'd think if it was a resort, you know, maybe there, you know, what, you know what it would have improved this episode vastly, Justin, if, if there was like, since it was a resort and it was by the lake, like maybe they could have had, you know, a bunch of cute Japanese chicks and bikinis and Tachibana could have gone out there and done his, uh, you know, like, hey, want to join the common Rider Club, ladies? You know, come back to my place or whatever. You know, some some crap like that. But you know that. Other than that, like, I I do enjoy this episode. I think it's I think it's fun. I just thought it was funny. Like, Ide got to go, you know, quote unquote, fishing with the girl, and right, right. he's kind of seen as like the goofy, dumb one. But he he had the brains to like go and like you know take her out fishing or hey, whatever. well there's the simple life simple pleasures you know that yeah, kind of yeah. thing right like that's that, that works it works for me in 1939 bob kane and bill finger created a shadowy crime fighter steeped in the pulps and crime dramas of the time that character was batman over the next 80 years, Batman not only became one of the most popular comic book characters of all time, but also became a television and movie phenomenon, appearing in both live-action and animated projects. And then there are the plethora of video games, trading cards, action figures, and statues that have been made of him and his cast of characters. Because of this, Mike and I want to spend the next year celebrating his 80th birthday. And we're calling that celebration... The Overlooked Dark Knight Celebration of Batman's 80th Birthday. Yes. But really? Really? That That's the best name that you could come up with. You've written panels, dude, and that's the best thing you could come up with. It's accurate. Yeah, but, you know, you and I have been podcasting a long time now. That was the placeholder name. We can do better than that. Okay, what's your idea? Well, what did we call it in the first episode of this series that we've already recorded? I, I really have no idea. It's a miracle that I remember what books we talked about. Well, that's fair, because I don't remember that either. Anyway, Andy and I are going to be spending May 2019 to May 2020 talking about Batman stories from all eras that we feel are either overlooked or too awesome not to talk about. We're even going to have special episodes dedicated to things like the 1989 Batman film and what issues of Detective Comics we would include in a big hardcover collection. Episodes will drop twice a month. You sure about that? To the best of my ability, episodes will drop twice a month at www.fortressofbailytude.com. You can also find the show on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. The Overlooked Dark Knight Celebration of Batman's 80th Birthday. Because everyone is doing it, but we're doing it for a whole year. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network. All rights reserved.
Ten years ago, a crashing wave of light erupted across the DC universe. A multicolored spectrum of energy bathed the cosmos in a war of light. Rage clashed against passion. Hope sought to stifle fear. Greed to choke out compassion. And in the middle of it all, the will to keep going and fight for all. Now this war has come to the surface of our planet, because while the light fights, the darkness rises. Hero, villain, friend, foe, family. Across the universe, the dead have risen, and it's going to take every available podcaster to fight back. In 2016, we covered the dawn of the Justice League with Justice League Year One. In 2017, we soaked in the seminal justice. Last year, we threw it back to the Silver Age. But this year's JLMA podcast event covers an event that knows not the boundaries of death itself. JLMA covers Blackest Night in celebration of the event's 10-year anniversary. Our coverage begins on April 30th with the podcast of OA and proceeds through the entire month of May with Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, The Idolhead of Diablo, The Fire and Water Podcast, Head Speaks, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Waiting for Doom, Task Force X, The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, The Doctor DC Podcast, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, and Ends with the Lantern Cast. So join us this May, because across the DC Universe, the dead have risen. Where will you be? So let's let's go on to the the next thing here. We're gonna be taking a look as as we described it, Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle Never Ending Odyssey. And th- this is essentially well, it, it, it's air dates. We're we're gonna cover the first two episodes because they kind of are they kind of encompass like the sort of introduction to this chapter of the series and and they do feature another Godzilla type suit with with another monster so the original air dates were December 20th and December 27th in the year 2008 the two episodes were titled Rayonix Hunter and Rayonix Battle the scene opens with a female alien pit inside of her spaceship, holding onto her battleizer and gloating to herself that the universe shall be hers. Suddenly, during a private moment, a mysterious being in armor teleports into her ship, destroying her battleizer and killing her shortly after. The being destroys the interior of her ship and teleports out of it before it explodes. Meanwhile, in another location far away, the Zap Spacey crew are now residing on a Zap Space Station. Huga reveals that it has been one month since the Zap Spacey had fled from planet Boris before it was destroyed by its artificial sun. The crews of both the Penadragon and the Ghostar Dragon have been resting there while the ships are being repaired. 
The crew is now waiting to return to Earth once the 53 survivors of the planet are returned home by a Zap ship known as the Morrigan. While the rest of the crew are elated to finally return to Earth, Ray begins to have nightmares about the truth of his Ray blood nature. He recalls his last fight with super evil sexy sentai lady Kate, telling him he is not even human. Ray also notices that his connection to his battle Nizer is starting to change, and so he takes it to Kumanu for further analysis. While aboard the Pendragon, Kumanu and Ray discover that his battle Nizer, which is revealed to be a hybrid possessing both organic and mechanical features, is growing. During their analysis, the Penadragon is suddenly stormed by police forces who seize Ray and lock him up in a secluded room. Despite Huga demanding answers and defending Ray, his pleas fall on deaf ears and the Penadragon crew is forbidden from interfering. As Ray awaits his questioning, the mysterious being who killed Alien Pit earlier teleports onto Zap's space station and sets off a bomb. During the commotion, the being approaches the room where Ray is locked and kills the police officers guarding it and is prepared to kill Ray next. Luckily, after the intervention of Haruna, Ray manages to fight back against the being, disposing of his teleporter and knocking him unconscious. The Zap Spacey crew reunites to flee their ship, the Penadragon, in order to escape the now exploding space station. Ray takes the unconscious being with them as they flee, determined to obtain answers from him later. As Huga looses the mooring clamps on the Penadragon, a piece of the bridge they are crossing collapses in a subsequent explosion, leaving him hanging from a ledge. Unwilling to leave Huga behind, Ray leaps across the ledge to rescue him. Kumanu then hurls Ray's battle back to him. With time running out for everyone, Ray and Huga are forced to flee in the Ghost Star Dragon, while the rest of the Zap Spacey crew and the mysterious being take the Penadragon. Both ships manage to make it off of the space station before it explodes, but a wormhole opens up in front of the Ghost Star Dragon. Unable to escape from its suction, the wormhole swallows Ray and Huga up before the Penadragon can reach them. Inside the wormhole, Ray and Huga struggle to maintain control as much as possible until the Ghost Star Dragon finally emerges from out of the wormhole and into an unknown Earth-like environment where the ship crash lands. Ray and Huga witness two monsters there engaged in battle, Gomez and Magular. As the two monsters battle fiercely, Gomez proves to be the superior of the two and easily overpowers Magular in their fight. Shortly into their battle, though, Gomez notices the Ghost Star Dragon and prepares to attack them next. Ray is already prepared to fight, but just before doing so, Ray notices that his Battlenizer has taken on a completely new form for a brief moment. Although temporarily distracting, the Battlenizer returns to normal, and Ray summons Gamora to protect them from Gomez. Gamora was able to fend off Gomez, but was quickly ambushed by Magular as well. Despite Gomez and Magular ganging up on Gamora, Gamora stabs Magular with his horn, charging the monster's innards with his oscillatory ray from the inside, destroying Magular. Gamora then turns his attention back to Gomez. Before he can finish him off, Gomez retreats from the fight in a green light, revealing that he too belongs to a ray blood. Then part two... Aboard the Penadragon, the remaining Zap Spacey crew members, Haruna, Oki, and Kumano, are trying to find a trace of Rei and Huga after being swallowed by the wormhole. Haruna and Kumano interrogate the mysterious being who destroyed Zap's space station. The being refuses to speak, 
and when the crew isn't looking, swipes one of the speeders. The Pendragon flies off in hot pursuit. Meanwhile, both Rey and Huga are both busy at work trying to fix the badly damaged Ghostar Dragon. Suddenly, Rey senses the appearance of the monster, Duraco. As Duraco appears before the Ghostar Dragon and threatens to destroy the ship, Rey goes off to battle the monster by summoning his Eliking. Eliking and Duraco's battle starts off at a standstill until Duraco begins taking advantage of his blades by slicing up Eliking with them. Luckily, with the intervention of Huga firing the Ghost Star Dragon's missiles, Duraco is weakened by the assault, allowing Eliking to regain the advantage in battle. Eliking goes at Duraco all gangsta style, ripping off his wings and straight up taking his wallet. Eliking finally puts Duraco out of his misery by blasting the monster with an electrical bolt of lightning. After the battle, Rey angrily yells at Huga for interfering in his battle with Duraco. Rey's rant is cut short as he notices the presence of someone else. Duraco's master, a cowardly alien hook Rayblood, tries to flee the scene only to be caught by the enraged Rey who beats him down like a bitch. Only Huga restraining Rey stops the hardcore beatdown. Elsewhere, while the Pentadragon chases after the speeder, they are suddenly taken by surprise to see a gargantuan fortress that has appeared right above them. The fortress pulls them inside via tractor beam where lasers begin to disassemble their ship. At this point, the mysterious being returns to face the Zap Spacey crew, revealing himself to be an alien Paydan known as Dial. Dial is using the Zap Spacey for his own ends, but he tells them he knows the exact coordinates where the wormhole took their friends, Planet Hammer. Back to the monster planet, ultimately Ray calms down and the men speak with the cowardly alien Hook. He reveals they are in the midst of the Rayonics battle, where other Raybloods from across the universe have gathered to fight one another to determine who will be their heir and have the power to rule the cosmos. Despite Huga's protestations that they were brought here by accident, the alien Hook laughs and says this is all due to the will of the Rayblood. Before teleporting away, the alien Hook tells Ray that his heightened aggression is due to his Rayblood fighting instinct slowly taking over. Dial makes a deal with the Zap Spacey crew to escort him to Planet Hammer so that they may reunite with their friends and he can continue his mission to wipe out all the Raybloods on the planet. Dial then reveals that he is a Rayonics hunter. Once the improvements have been made to the Pentadragon, it is released from the docking bay and the fortress disappears. Shortly after, the Pentadragon comes under attack by a stray Bemstar. Thanks to the enhancements made by the alien Paden, the Pentadragon's new weapons manage to fend off the Bemstar with little effort, and the hurt Bemstar tries to flee by hiding behind an asteroid. However, Dial takes command by using the ship's strongest weapon, the Pendanium Launcher. With one blast of the mega weapon, Bemstar and the asteroid are obliterated. Haruna goes all Ultraman Cosmos hippie and yells at Dial for blowing up the Bem Star. Meanwhile, on Planet Hammer, Ray is surprised to find that Gomez has returned to settle the score with him. Ray releases Gamora to do battle, and the two monsters battle fiercely yet again. During their fight, Ray discovers who Gomez's master is, an alien guts Ray blood. Gamora and Gomez's battle is roughly at a standstill, but with Lytra assisting Gamora, 
Gomez gets taken down by some sweet, sweet wrestling moves that, if only Tony were here, he could tell me what the hell they were. Like Magular in the previous episode, Gamora stabs Gomez with his horn, charging the monster's innards with his super oscillatory ray from the inside, destroying Gomez. The alien Guts flees from the fight, and as Ray recalls Gamora and Lytra, remembers the last words of Kate that Ray must battle and defeat all of the Ray blood. Just then, Ray notices a glowing blade-like object off in the horizon. And that ends the first two episodes of Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle Neverending Odyssey. So, I guess, had you seen this before? Because this was the first time I watched these two episodes. I've seen the first series before, but I've never seen Neverending Odyssey before. So this was kind of new to me, and like it took me a minute to try and remember what happened at the end of the first series because it's been a long time yeah yeah i mean i I guess the other thing i was going to say is you know since we're not going to give you a a gigantic history course on on ray and the ray blood or anything like that you 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 guys can go listen to the earth destruction directive episode i did with luke jack and eddie on the the mega monster battle movie and then the revenge of belial i think we we discussed ray blood stuff in in one of those two episodes so this is tokyo once a city of six million people what has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination tokyo a smoldering memorial to the unknown An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. I mean, the basic premise kind of seems like Secret Wars with, like, kaiju you know like <laughs> yeah like the the you know the i i mean the, the, i guess if the will of the ray blood is the beyonder you know zapping them to this planet this planet you know hammer or whatever you know like then that's that's kind of like battle world i guess and it, it seems like you you get to have i i, I guess have your cake and eat it too because it seems like all these other ray blood are past ultramen or ultra seven kind of like human-sized aliens, and they're controlling, you know, giant monsters, whether they be, you know, famous monsters like Gamora and Ella King or, or what have you. Now, that the tie-in here, I guess, which which maybe should be something that we should go into since we're, you know, kind of leaning towards this this Godzilla theme with it, the, the one that has the Godzilla-type suit is the monster Gomez. So that's one of the, the monsters that... that 
uh, Gamora fights in the beginning of episode one and then gets sort of ported away and then comes back at the end of episode two. Now, I mean, this is not as uh, obvious, you know, like a, a re resuit or whatever you want to call it. Like uh, it's not as obvious of a reuse, I think, you know, like they, they probably do a really good job of, of, of making it its own thing. But I mean, you can kind of tell from like the, the, the anatomy of the legs and the hands and, and, and the, the head a little bit that it's, it's an old Godzilla suit, but they, I think they do a pretty good job of, of making it its own thing, you know, as far as that goes, I don't know what your thoughts on, on Gomez are. I think Gomez is really cool. The only thing that bugs me is his big bushy eyebrows. They make me think of like Oscar the Grouch or uh, something. Yeah, I, I can see that. Cause he, he does kind of, it's, it's almost like he's got that weird, yeah, that, that kind of Sesame Street-looking pair yeah. of eyes where he, he's kind of got, like, the Oscar cookie monster eyes or, you know, those those kind of big, you know, round kind of bulbous eyes. Yeah, I can I can totally see that. But, but uh, I like the design of the suit, and I think – doesn't Gomez come from, like, episode one of Ultra Q? I think he does. I think I think when we were talking about this, I, we, were, we were deciding whether or not to – to do the Ultra Q episode or do these episodes. And I think since I had definitely seen the Ultra Q episode, and I think you were keen on doing this because neither of us had watched this series. Like, I think, I think we went with this one, but yeah, he must be in like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure which episode it is, but I'm pretty sure he was in an episode of Ultra Q. I know Litra comes from an early episode of Ultra Q. It might be episode don't they maybe they fight in episode one i can't remember it's it's been a long time since i watched ultra q but one of the things i like about you know this series and the the previous incarnation is like i think 99 percent of the monsters you see on screen are like returning classic monsters and i i always like that i mean this is both of these series are basically it's ultraman without ultraman you just have like different monsters fighting each other and I remember when I heard that premise, I was like, oh, that that sounds interesting, but it, will it be, like, compelling enough without Ultraman? But, like, I like I really like Series 1, and now having watched, you know, these first two episodes of NeverEnding Odyssey, like, I want to sit down and finish, you know, this series. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I know before we got on, I was I was discussing with you, like, I was saying, I, I did go on and watch, like, I, I think I got through Episodes 3 and 4, but I was... You know, I mean, I, I guess it's a simple thing, but you know, we're, we're we have the the fiery blood of conflict in us. We probably are excited <laughs> to see, you know, how does this go down? Does does Ray triumph over all these people? Does he lose control? You know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's it's got a it's got an enticing premise. I mean, I I could see how to some people it might be a little formulaic, but I mean, to me, as long as like fighting's involved, I the only thing I wish was, and and I don't know, maybe you can tell me this too, but like Gamora was totally doing like like drop kicks and and pile whatever. So I I don't know all the wrestling terminology, but it, like I I think like Gamora was was totally doing like WWE style wrestling <laughs> moves on on uh, Gomez, you know. I think I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, like I think we we need Tony to tell us what those moves were exactly so you were you were absolutely right gomez is in the first episode of ultra q which is titled defeat gomez and you are also <laughs> right because the lytra is considered 
let me see, what does it say? The the Lytra is Oh, oh, Gomez is like the natural predator of the Lytra in that episode. Mm-hmm. So so it goes after the Lytra. I guess this is this is kind of part of the trivia as well. You know, Gomez is this is from the the Ultra Wiki that is in English, not in broken English. Uh, Gomez is infamously known for being created from a loosely disguised Godzilla suit around the time of Toho's film Mothra vs. Godzilla. E.G. Subaraya was beginning his work on the show Ultra Q, and during the time of Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, a new Godzilla suit was to be used for the film. However, when Subaraya pleaded with Toho Studios to use the suit, the Mosugoji suit was reused for the film instead. Once filming for episode one of Ultra Q was finished, the Godzilla suit that was used to make Gomez would later be given back to Toho Studios to create the film Invasion of Astro Monster. In episode 18, Gomez was intended to return to Ultra Q, but due to filming of Invasion of Astro Monster, Toho lent the Baragon suit to Subaraya and Pagos was created instead. Uh, Hmm. Gomez is one of the two very first monsters in the Ultra series. The other one uh, is is Lytra, so so they're both the earliest ultra kaiju monsters. Um, he is the first monster to appear from underground. He's the first monster to fight another monster, and he's the first kaiju to actually die on screen. So yeah, and and so it looks like you know Gomez was in you know the the mega monster battle with all the other monsters, and yeah, so and and he goes on to appear in a number of other Ultraman series after this too yeah i think he was in uh ultraman rude recently too nice nice yeah but i did i did definitely enjoy this series i mean i, I think it's a good premise i i guess you know they're that because they had sort of told their little half mini season with the original thing and and they're kind of moving on to something else so they they sort of had to it feels like you know when they they reinvent a TV show in the second or third season, you know, kind of like you know whether it's you know adding a little kid to the series or you know some kind of you know change up just to 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 keep interest alive or what what have you. So this is definitely a, a slight tweak or reimagining of the premise of Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle. I mean, it, it still has the monsters, it still has some of the same cast, but. You know, this whole, essentially, you know, uh, we're comparing it to Battle World from Secret Wars. But yeah, that that's kind of the premise that they they all go to Battle World and fight it out. And it's like, who will survive? You know, so that's it's to me, that's that's I mean, I don't know if we're selling it very well. But I mean, I I was like engaged with the premise, like it it made me want to keep watching and find out, you know. At, at the very least, you know, how many people's ass does, does Ray kick, you know, like that kind of thing. I did think it was kind of weird, like, as I remember in the first series, like, Ray being, you know, a Rayonix was, like, a super big deal. And then in this one, it's like, you're a Ray Blood, you're a Ray Blood, everyone's a Ray Blood. Everyone's a Ray Blood, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then it's weird, because they're, they're teaming up with this guy who's a Ray Blood, you know, a Rayonix hunter. You know, but it, I mean, it seems like, you know, the first time he meets Ray, he tries to kill him, you know, because that's that's his mission statement. Right. So it's it's one of these awkward rival fusions, I guess, with the, the Zap Spacey crew where they're trying to you know, get back to their friends. But then they have to sort of bring a, the devil they know with them or, or, you know, for lack of a better term. I thought it was weird. Like he like the first time he meets Ray, he fights him 
and then like he blows up that zap space station but then like the guys on like the pendragon or whatever like did they just forget about that or did like everyone like manage to escape because they don't even bring up him destroying the the space station they, they're just like why are you wanting to fight ray i'm like he blew up your space station guys like come on Dude, she's she's busy worrying about him blowing up the bem star because you know because of the feels the hippie bullshit or whatever right like so and then they don't got time to worry about a whole space station of actual people that probably <laughs> died because they were just doing their jobs on a, or what about the the 53 poor assholes who were supposed to go back to their planet like are they they make it back or are they all fucking dead now like who knows i don't know we got more important things to worry about like monsters fighting other monsters on planets yeah like so yeah i don't i don't know that they're necessarily going to deal with the the catastrophic emotional impact of of what actually took place i mean the the this this has that you know these these kind of early aughts special or maybe late aughts i guess really special effects but i'm I'm okay with them. Like they, they, they yeah. seem fine to me. I mean, I, I'm sure some people would look at them and, you know, with some derision or something like that. But I mean, I, I guess I've always kind of taken these, these films with the, okay, you've got a TV budget and you know, like it's, it's not, it's not quite as, you know, bad as Babylon five and it's not really as good Aww. as, well, I don't know. I was just trying to think of something, you know, like, but, I know, I but, know. but it's just like, no, I mean, it's nothing against that. I'm just saying that the CG is, is kind of tough, right? Like, I mean, you know, it's like, what you want me to, it's not, it's no Voltron, the third dimension, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's like, it's not, it, it's not, you know, extremely poor, but then again, it's not, you know, it's, it's no, you know, it's no beast wars. It's no, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some great CG. I don't know on TV, which is, you know, you're always hard pressed to do because they, they do it under a budget, but you know, you could point to, you know, whatever they do. Like if it's, you know, I don't know, gorilla grot on the flash or something like that, you know, it's, it's not quite that high level, you know, it's like the, the, usually the Sentai tokusatsu, it's, you know, it's somewhere in between, you know, it's, 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 you know, Gaim level, you know, CG, you know, like, which is, which is fine. Like as long, you know, they, yeah. they, they do, they do action paced stuff, you know, and, and it gets the point across, you know, a spaceship's a spaceship, you know, uh, uh, explosions and explosion, you know, you know, that, uh, you know, people zooming around, you know, and, and blowing up asteroids, you, you know what those are. Right. So I, I, I think it's fine. Okay, Derek, here's my uh, ultra nerd question for you. Okay. Who would win in a battle, Jiris or Gomez? I I think Go- Gomez doesn't like breathe atomic breath, does he? Like he doesn't seem I, to have any like I don't think he so. doesn't seem to have any long-range powers to me. I I think he like he, he can go underground if he wants. He's got his little horn and all this other stuff like I I would kind of lean towards like like I'm thinking the only reason why Jiris got so soundly defeated is they both agreed at the beginning to do the physical, you know, like shinobi mm. honor battle or whatever that they did in that. But I'm guessing like I'm guessing Jiris, if he atomic breathed like Gomez, Gomez would just like poof the fuck away or or, or get really <laughs> or get really fucked up, you know, like in that first hit or whatever. You know what I mean? Like like whereas I I don't know that Gomez has any long range attacks or at least i don't remember him having any long-range attacks so i think i think i would lean towards jiris and just because jiris looks more like 
the original Godzilla. But then I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if, if that, you know, flowery thing would get in his way or something. Like, I don't know. But, but I, I think I'd lean towards, towards Jiris. What about you? Do you are you a, are you a Gomez or a, a Jiris proponent in this scenario? I don't know. I think I might go for Gomez actually. And then, and then, so don't leave the listeners in suspense. Like, like, tell us what your what your reasoning or rationale for for Gomez being the the victor in that scenario is. I think if he could like tear off Jiris's frill, like that would kind of that would that would it. clinch it. Okay. Plus, he's also got like those big fangs on the side of his like jaw. Mm. Like, if he could like manage to sink those into Jiris somewhere, it, like. It. But yeah, like if if he gets shot with Jiris's whatever power breath he has, like that would probably like be the end of him, or you know, he'd be almost dead or something. Right. So as long as as long as Jiris doesn't fuck around and throw rocks up in the air, like then <laughs> yeah. then Gomez Gomez might have it, you know. Or I, I guess he could, like, burrow under, you know, Jiris. Oh, and, like, and sneak, sneak up him. behind him. Yeah, I could see yeah, that sneaky going sneak. on. sneak, Yeah, that, that, that could work. Surprise, motherfucker. Well, this says, this says, this says that Gomez does have some kind of radioactive beam attack as well. So maybe you're right. Maybe Gomez does take this then. Because if they both have long-range attacks like that, then... I think Gomez probably has a little more advantage with the underground stuff and the, the the claws and fangs and things like that. So I don't think I have anything else on this other than I I really enjoyed the the series and I I do want to complete watching it. How about yourself? Yeah, like, like I said, I watched series one a long time ago, and I was kind of racking my brain. I was like, what? what happened at the end of the first series? And then when they started showing pieces of it and like that kind of like, you know, like you said, the six evil Sentai lady, I was like, okay, I remember her definitely. Yeah. So it was starting to come back to me. But yeah, like I watched these first two episodes. I really liked them. I'm going to sit down in the next couple of days and finish out the rest of the series. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a plan. I, I endorse and recommend the same. So, and that, I believe, I guess this might be worth mentioning, but I, I, my understanding is you can watch this now on the Toku channel if you, if uh-huh. you get that in wherever, you know, whatever cable and stuff that you subscribe to. So that, that may be a way for you to, to watch this, you know, in, in legal means, you know, so yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess this is going to wrap things up for this episode of Toku Thursdays. If you enjoyed listening to Toku Thursdays, we hope you consider checking out all of our shows. We've got a large number of shows on the Fanholes Podcast Network. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got Comics, Motherfucker, Do You Read Them, where we talk about comics. We've got Justice, Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, which is a Thunderbolts podcast. And we've got the Fanholes podcast proper. If you want to send us any emails, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. You can let us know who you think would win in a fight between Gomez and Jiris. And... We are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We can be found on iTunes, and we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. 
So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, trying not to get angry as hell, signing off. And this is Justin signing off.
he remembers the words of Kate that... Sorry. Dog is going crazy. Snoopy yeah, is he's got Rayonix blood. He's got that. He's got that Ray Bradbury. <laughs> Ray Blad, Bradbury bark. All right. Let's see. The alien guts flees from the fight. Uh oh. He's like, damn. He's like, damn Rayonix. I'm gonna kill them all. <laughs> I just have one more sentence, Snoopy. Then I can mute and Justin can talk for the world. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. The alien Guts flees from the fight, and as Ray recalls Gamora and Lytra, he remembers the last words of... <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. So, Doctor feeds Jiris a bunch of food, but then, like, the fish eat Jiris's leftovers, so there's more fish? I didn't understand that part. Yeah, how does... I, I, I was just like, okay, I just whatever. go with it. There's, there's a lot of fish. It's unusual. Let's go check this shit out. I don't get it. And then I... And also, I was like, okay, so the Japanese Gilligan... They like what? They said they were gonna poison the fish, but like oh, yeah, yeah, are yeah, they yeah. using a poison that's not gonna kill them? Yeah, yeah, too? yeah. Like, yeah, it's like we should just poison the whole river and get more fish. And I just, you're just kind of like, what the fuck's wrong with you, what? Gilligan? What's wrong <laughs> with you, little buddy? You're not thinking straight. Yeah, they needed a Japanese skipper, big fat Japanese guy, to be like, what the fuck's <laughs> wrong with you? And smack him across the fucking head. Fucking Bacana. Bacana. If you poison the fish, we'd be eating poison too, you fucking moron. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. So do you just wanna get into it or Sure. Yeah. I mean I doubt Tony watched all these, all these things. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Mike's busy jerking off to Avengers Endgame again. So <laughs> we can't we can't have him come on the show. Uh.